Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles, but it is also printed on page 11 in your bulletin. If you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Before we read, I would remind you that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Ephesians 3, chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's a wonderful privilege to worship with you this morning here at Proclamation. Uh, we bring greetings from Lebanon Valley a Church Plant in uh, Lebanon County, and uh, we also bring our, our thanks uh, for your support of this work and your church getting behind us both um, in prayer and encouragement and financially uh, as we have labored now for just over a year. September 1st was our one-year anniversary, and uh, I always like to look at the reactions that people give when they ask when we started the church, uh, September 1st, 2020. And uh, the idea of starting a church in a pandemic, uh, of course, that wasn't our plan. But uh, as so many have endured over the past year and a half, uh, we've been surprised and dealt with uh, unique challenges. Uh, nevertheless, the Lord has been faithful as uh, we started officially September 1st um, and then started to meet for worship November 1st. Now, that's um, also highly uh, unorthodox to begin meeting for worship so early. Uh, nevertheless, we found it difficult to invite people to Zoom meetings. Um, and so we said, how are we going to invite, what are we inviting people to? Of course, we were doing some studies and uh, different things by way of Zoom and streaming online, uh, but we took that leap of faith. We, we got a wonderful uh, rental at the New Covenant Christian School on Route 72, just a couple minutes outside the city. And so we started meeting for worship, um, and we, it's a, this was a scratch work uh, meeting. We didn't come in with, uh, you know, a church sending us so many people or families. Uh, we started from scratch, but we are thankful. We have about 30 people that are meeting for worship um, now. Uh, we've just accepted, well, uh, let me rewind a bit. We've had 15 people uh, apply to be members and take our new members class. And so those will be the charter members, Lord willing, after being interviewed by our oversight committee in the next couple of months. So we bring good news. Pray for us. Uh, there's so much to do, so much need in the area. Um, our core team really has just be begun to gel and come together and uh, begin to ask the questions of what now? as we move into our second year. So please, we covet your prayers um, 
in our endeavor there. And again, we give our thanks that you're with us in that plant. Today, I'd like to speak on our passage from Ephesians, which was read to you already. And here we see in this second prayer of the apostle, uh, wonderful truths. And, and I want to focus today on this prayer specifically and on uh, the love of Christ, because there are three fundamental and underlying principles that drive this part of the prayer about the love of Christ. Uh, the first is how this love provides amazing depth. This love provides amazing depth. But then secondly, we see that this love is experiential and must be earnestly grasped. Uh, we'll see that it's a matter of practical experience. And then lastly, we'll see how this love, the love of Christ, is uh, not only meant to be experienced individually, but in community, in community. And so from Ephesians 3 in this prayer for spiritual strength from the Apostle Paul, let us deal with these three things. Paul deliberately mixes metaphors here. You may have noticed that. When he describes the love of Christ in verse 17, he says we, he's praying that we be rooted and grounded in love. And you see the mix of metaphors there. Author J.D. Watson notes that the first metaphor is botanical, rooted. I'm praying that you be rooted. And the second is architectural. I'm praying that you be grounded. And we see from the metaphors that he is talking about the depth and the foundation of the Christian life. And the depth and the foundation of the Christian life is the love of Christ. I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love. And the first thing we note then from this prayer is the love of Christ as the foundation of the Christian life provides tremendous depth. It's not superficial. It's not shallow. The love that we're talking about here is not mere sentiment. We know it is agape. I'm praying that you be rooted and grounded in agape, which is love. And so love is the soil in which the believer is rooted and also in which the believer grows. Of course, this isn't the first time that the apostle has made mention of this love. In the first chapter, verse 15, he says to the church in Ephesus, since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So this is the same love that he is referencing and his prayer is that they be rooted, which of course from that metaphor we get the idea of something that is firmly fixed in the ground. That botanical metaphor gives us a picture of a tree, doesn't it? And it may spark our memory to the Old Testament, to the great Psalm, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the way of the scornful, or stands in the way of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, 
and on his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. There is that metaphor again showing us that what is being talked about here is something that is completely opposite of the superficial or the shallow. It has roots, and those roots run deep into the ground. And from that psalm, we know that the tree is being nourished by the waters that are running underground. That beautiful picture of the psalm, it may be what Paul is referencing when he talks about the believer being rooted in love. Because through that uh, metaphor, he's picturing the Christian as a tree just as the psalmist is picturing the blessed man or the blessed woman as a tree, where they have roots that run deep into the soil of love. My wife and I uh, celebrated this past summer 22 years of, of marriage, and by God's grace, our relationship now has more depth in year 22 than it does in year one. Christ's love provides amazing depth. You're like a tree, and your roots go deep into the soil of Christ's love. What a significant metaphor that is. Because we know trees are not always blooming. Trees are not always beautiful. Uh, Some people that we know have been vacationing in New Hampshire where we live for about 10 years. And of course, it's one of the, the greatest places to be during this season to see the, the beautiful foliage. I, I was looking at some of their pictures on Facebook and I admit I was jealous that they were there. Such a beautiful state. We love Pennsylvania too. But New Hampshire, there's something so beautiful and so beautiful about this particular season where those trees are so showing such beauty. But we know that a tree is not always blooming. It's not always beautiful. A tree is subject to various seasons, seasons in which there's beauty, but also seasons in which there there is barrenness and not so much beauty. We have uh, four trees, towering trees, uh, out on the front of our home. And during the summer, those trees are just flourishing and they're beautiful We would never want to cut them down. But I admit there's sometimes that those same trees are ugly and annoying. Right now, it's one of those times. They're not only shedding leaves that are not vibrant and beautiful like New Hampshire, but those towering trees are also shedding their bark. And so I'm out there with my blower, you know, trying to always keep up the mess that these trees are producing. Listen, trees are subject to various seasons. And and in our lives, we can see that metaphor speaks of us, that we don't always sense the flourishing as it was we were exhorted at the beginning of the service. We're not always free of suffering. We're not always feeling like we are strong in our faith. But here is the truth that the roots that Christ has planted us in, into his love, run very deep into the ground, just like those trees in front of my house where if you were to hit those trees with a car, the car is going to bend. The tree will not bend. Those roots go deep into the ground. Listen, friend, Christ's love is what sustains us. Christ's love is what gives us staying power and depth. Christ's love is what 
holds us. And our testimony can be in our faith. We may not always be beautiful. We may not always be flourishing. But our, and our faith may not always result in us being jovial and jubilant. But here's what we know. Christ's love sustains the believer in all seasons of life. And Paul is praying that you would know this and walk this out in your faith. That in the midst of trial, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of challenge, you would not be looking deep within yourself. Or as we hear in the trite sayings of our culture today, you know, dig deep within yourself or be your best self or love yourself. Oh, no. Paul is writing to people who are planted and rooted in something besides themselves, rooted in Christ's love, and that's what a Christian is, is someone who has been made a partaker of Christ's nature and has been planted, did not plant themselves, but by the sovereign grace of God, they have been planted and rooted in to the love of Christ with the roots entrenched in that love. And what amazing depth we are talking about here. Now, the the second metaphor is not botanical, but as I noted, it's architectural. He prays that you be not only rooted, but now switching metaphors, grounded, or as some translations say, established in love. And here's the picture of a building. And we know the most vital part of a building is the foundation. We know that a building can only be built as high as it is deep. And Paul knows that the Ephesians have already been rooted and grounded, established in love. In verse 3 of verse 1, they have been predestined in love to be adopted as the dear children of God, already rooted and established in love. And this is a remarkable prayer, isn't it? Because I suggest to you the prayer is not that we should love Christ more, which of course would be a wonderful and accurate prayer. But in this context, it is, he's not praying that they would love Christ more, but that they would better grasp his love for them. That the creedal truth that they are loved by Christ would be something that they not only confess and affirm, but they grasp it. They experience it. And that's what brings us to our second point, that this love of Christ not only provides tremendous depth, but this love is experiential and must be earnestly grasped. We see Paul speaking highly experientially here in this prayer particularly when he uses that paradox in verse 19 when he says, I'm praying that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. There's a paradox. It's a a love that surpasses knowledge, and yet he's praying that you would know it. This is more than intellectually affirming something or confessing a creed, which is of great importance, but that they would have strength to comprehend, meaning and the Greek there, earnestly grasp. The Greek wording there is a bit strange, in fact, when it says, I'm praying that you earnestly grasp or have strength to comprehend, earnestly grasp this love. It's strange because that word is used elsewhere in Scripture, meaning to tackle someone 
or to overtake them or to even wrestle with them. Sometimes the word has been used to describe an army plundering a city and robbing it. What's being talked here about Paul saying, I'm praying that you earnestly grasp the love of God. Earnestly grasp the enormity and grandeur of his love. This, of course, is baseball season or playoff baseball season in the major leagues. And I've been watching a few of the baseball games. And I remember as a teenager attending uh, the Boston Red Sox versus the New York Yankees in uh, Yankee Stadium. And uh, I'll never forget that day. Pedro Martinez was the pitcher for the Red Sox and Andy Pettit for the New York Yankees. And in between innings, uh, the center fielder for the Red Sox was throwing the ball to the left fielder as they were uh, keeping their arms stretched during innings. And then I was there with my brother in the outfield stands. And Johnny Damon, the center field, turned, and I watched him launch the ball towards where I was. And uh, I'll never forget that day, the ball was coming to my left, and I could see it. And I knew the only way I had a chance to catch this game ball was to dive. And that's exactly what I did. And I dove to my left, and I scraped my arm, probably had a little bit of blood, broke my watch, but I got the ball. I got the ball, game ball. And when we talk about earnestly grasping, that's what that's talking about. There's an aggressive assertion. It's saying, I want this. I want this. When Paul says, I'm praying that you earnestly grasp Christ's love, he's saying, I'm praying that you would experience it. To, to experience this love, to long for it with your hearts, to long for it with your lives, to do more than just read John 3.16 and say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but to say, I want that. I, I want to wrestle with what that means, that, that God loves the world, that Christ loves me. My wife and I have been watching a documentary uh, about 100, it's called The 100-Foot Wave. And it's about these surfers that are literally trying to ride the largest waves in the world. And one of the surfers said this that caught my attention. He said, you don't ever conquer the wave, but you can catch it. And in one moment, you ride it. Listen, we'll never conquer the love of Christ. It's too grand. It's too vast. But we were meant to long for that love, to overwhelm our lives, to live out of that love, to know that love in this mean-spirited world in which we uh, live. And this is what Paul's praying for, that there would be a kind of desperation, a longing, a seizing of the opportunity to earnestly grasp the love of Christ. Oh, what a, what a wonderful prayer. What a beautiful prayer. What a pertinent prayer. Because we all long for love. We all long to be loved, to be significant, to be secure. We all long to have a home to go to that will take us in when we show up on the front steps. We all long to be listened to and seen for who we are and not to live as isolated individuals. In his book, The The Soul of Shame, Dr. Kirk Thompson said, we are all born into this world looking for someone who is looking for us. And we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. Oh, friend, listen. The world is offering all kinds of 
false loves, cheap love. That's no love at all. We know in our world, in our own hearts, we look for love and money and power, perhaps illicit sex, or in having the most toys or the recognition of our peers or how many likes we get on our Facebook page. And why do we do that? Because we long for love, to experience love. We want something or someone to capture our hearts, set our hearts on fire, melt our cold lives and warm our affections, electrify us, console us. Listen, all oh, the music that, that we hear is often about love because it's the fundamental need of the human heart. And here's the word of God saying that there is a love that's so deep you can never plumb its depths. You can never totally understand and grasp it, friend. What are you going to do about that reality? That there is such a love to be experienced. There's such a love that it was said of Count Zinzendorf in the 1700s that one day when he was meditating on the crucifixion of Christ, he said to himself, Oh Lord, if you've done this for me, what can I do for you? And those very words would explain Zinzendorf's career. In many ways, the founder of foreign missions work, sending missionaries to Greenland 50 years after the building of the London Missionary Society. And, and what started all of that? It was his grasping the love of Christ that drove him on to want to serve Christ with all of his heart. It was the brilliant 17th century mathematician, Pascal, who wrote on account of his conversion to Christianity, he wrote in the year of grace, 1654, from about half past 10 in the evening until half past 12, fire, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not of the philosophers and scholars, but certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ. And it was said that he, he sowed those words into the coat of his, by his chest, because he wanted that, those, that testimony to always be near his heart. Listen, this, these are testimonies where the love of Christ has become living reality to people. They would say, I'm energized by this love. I'm compelled to tell others about the love of Christ. The question for us is, will we earnestly grasp this love? Will we tackle it? Will we wrestle with it? Will we seek to understand it with all of our hearts and, and minds? Oh, the love of Christ is to be experienced. It's to be meditated upon. It's to be seized. This love, not merely to be known intellectually or affirmed by our words, but that the Lord would give us a heart to say, Oh, Lord, let me in these days of confusion and complexity, in these days of brokenness, oh, give me an understanding of the, the depth and the magnitude of your love. You see, Paul runs out of ways of how to describe this love, doesn't he? It surpasses knowledge. The breadth, the length, the height, the depth of it. How do you measure it? How do you weigh it? Long? How long is it? How wide? How high? How deep? Oh, this is the love of Christ, our Savior, who naturally gravitated toward those who were reviled 
morally disgusting, undeserving, the one who is called the friend of sinners. Oh, Lord, for me, the one standing in need, may I know your love for me that's patient with me, that wrestles with me, that is fierce love, that's uncompromising. This is Paul's prayer. This love not only provides amazing depth, it's not only meant to be experienced, but then lastly, this love, not only to be experienced individually, but note in verse 18, but to be experienced in community. I pray that you have strength to grasp with all the saints. Don't miss those words. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? The truth of Christ's love is not only to be grasped by one in isolation, but with all the saints. And what have we learned so far in our short time together? This love doesn't de- depend me- on mere intellectual knowledge. It's practical. But then we're also being told in Paul's prayer that it's this love is to be practiced in community. That it's not merely theoretical, but the love is to be experienced and worked out. And part of that working out the love of Christ is in the community of believers. I pray that you have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Here is where Paul's not so abstract, right? He's concrete because this love is going to be worked out and weaved into all fabrics of life, including our life together. Again, reminding us that this is more than a mere intellectual, intellectual feat, but it's going to take courage to love, to walk with one another, For if the love of Christ is a matter of personal experience, then here is the challenge to us, that we would together learn the love of Christ, together uh, live in, in love with one another. And here we see why Paul is praying and laboring in prayer, because then now we're seeing that this is costly, isn't it? To know with all the saints... Oh, no, not as in isolation, not by myself, not for me to read every systematic theology on the love of Christ and and say, oh, how wonderful it is. But now to be weaved into the fabric of my life, this, this love needs to be practiced with those that I worship with, those that I serve with, those that I live with. And oh, how costly that is. And how we too must labor in prayer that we would know the love of Christ with all the saints. Because now we're being shown, and here Paul is enhancing on his argument that Jew and Gentile are coming together, that there's no longer an independence, but now there's an interdependence. There's no longer just caring about yourself, but now there's a call to care about your brother and sister. And so growing and developing in this love won't so much lead to a life of isolation, but it will lead to one who is being rooted in community. And so if we are to discover the love of Christ with all the saints, then we're going to discover a work of God's Spirit that doesn't reproduce uniformity, 
but it's going to produce true unity in the midst of diversity. And we're now being challenged to say, what can my brothers and sisters who are drastically different than me teach me about the love of Christ? If I'm to know the love of Christ with all the saints, then there's something that my brother or sister can teach me about what it means to walk in this love. See, remember what Paul, how he started this prayer? He said, I bow my knee to the God, the Father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Oh, that's a big family. And that certainly would have been challenging to the Jews and Gentiles in Ephesus who are accustomed to staying in their little corners, who are accustomed to not crossing paths, let alone work together or learn from one another or yield to each other. But now they're being invited out of that polarization into a participation with this big family, learning together, coming together, working together, learning from those outside their spheres of comfort zones and influence and being challenged. Oh, yes, it is a challenge to us as well that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints. It's a challenge to us, isn't it? Why? Because we, we love our isolated communities. We distrust difference. And yet, where we are marching towards in Revelation 5 and 7 is a ransom people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, not just two categories of humanity, but all nations. Listen, this is what Paul is praying, that the saints would be able to comprehend with each other and from each other, walking and learning together, learning what it means to walk in love, to yield. So Paul prays and he labors in prayer because this is costly to embark out of our isolation and to expand in this great big family that God is bringing together. But oh, the joy of it, oh, the beauty of the end result that there is a whole structure that's being built together, that's growing into a holy temple into the Lord, and we are being built together. You see the plurality of that. Into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so, in a time when there's ample opportunity to divide, an ample opportunity to be malicious, an ample opportunity uh, to separate, here the, the apostles praying that we would together learn and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so, Paul's prayer. Reminding us the magnitude of this love, the depth of this love, the experience of it, and then how we together, as children of God, will come to understand the great price that was paid for us by Christ our Lord, so that we too can rise in praise as the Apostle did himself and say to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations to him who's able to do far more than we could ever ask or think according to the power at work within us so be it Lord as we together grasp the love of Christ let's pray